Welcome into the His and Hers podcast. I'm Zach Bennett alongside my sister Paige. And today we have a fantastic episode for you as we review and preview the NBA conference semifinals, where they are currently and where we project them to go. We then move into a little bit of draft talk as we give the winners and the losers of the latest NFL draft as we look ahead to the NFL schedule being released next week. That's all next here on Days on Earth Podcast. All right, so Paige, the NBA playoff full swing. We're into the second round. The NBA does something no. really, really funky. They play all the games like the Saturday night was game one between the Suns and Nuggets, but then the next day was game seven between the Kings and the Warriors. So depending on what you're watching, you'll find out what's what part of the playoff you're on. And what's interesting well, is the that was, that was the most profound thing you've ever you. said. Thank you. Depending on what you're watching, you'll uh, know. <laughs> it, 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 I meant to say depending you don't know what round you're watching at any given moment. What I meant by that was last night, the Nuggets and Suns played again on Monday. And as we begin this recording, the Warriors and the Lakers are about to tip off. Um, I won't try to say it like a poet, uh, but I guess we could we could be really smart. We could record two different versions of this page where one where you gave your reactions to the Lakers winning, which would be. Let's go. LeBron James is the goat. I could go on and on and on. Okay. And then uh, the scenario that we are recording this and they have lost. Oh, so sad. LeBron's still the goat. (laughs) Okay. So everything just goes back to that. (laughs) No, Uh, just kidding. Actual reaction. If they win, I think that the biggest thing for the Lakers to win this series is obviously one, you have to find a solution for Steph Curry. You're not going to shut him down completely, but you have to hold him in the 20 to 30 point range. I think the key, the upper hand that the Lakers have is that I think that if I think they have a better defensive strategy in terms of Anthony Davis, like Draymond Green and Looney just can't really measure up to the same. Like they're not going to be able to guard Davis as well as other players in the league can. So if Davis is able to stay strong on the offensive side, if we're able to shut down, especially I'd love, I'm really excited to see what we're doing, what the Lakers do um, to guard Curry. I think that a great option would be to put Reeves all over Curry all night long. And then obviously some double team action happening there but obviously you gotta if you keep curry within 20 to 30 points you manage your points and then you just perform well on offense then i think that's going to be the key uh we're gonna have to see anthony davis have some big games for the lakers to pull out a win and we're gonna have to see um why is my blame brain blanking right now uh Rui. Austin Reeves, no. Angelo Russell. Angelo Russell. There we are. How did I forget there. him? See, uh, I, had my poem, my, I had my poll moment. You had your brain fart. We're sixes we go. across we're the even. board. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so we're going to need D'Angelo Russell to – D'Angelo Russell is one of those guys that he's up or down. So he's either hot and, like, he is just cranking out passes. He's looking really smooth. Or he just looks like he doesn't know how to play basketball half the time. So if we can just have him stay consistent for at least four games, that's going to be great for the Lakers. 
And then obviously flip side, if the Lakers lose, I think one, you're going to have seen an injury with Anthony Davis or LeBron James that puts one of them on the sidelines. Cause if both of them are not playing, then you're not going to see a Lakers that win. Um, and then two, it's going to be, they didn't contain Curry and he has 50 point games, which everyone is like talking about the 50 point game. Like it was amazing. Yes. We love when we see a player do that, but it's just funny how it's like, now that's the narrative of like, oh yeah, well now the Warriors are going to stomp the Lakers because Steph Curry had that one 50 point game, even though he didn't have a 50 point game for the first six games of this King series. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this series is Obviously, you have the defending champ in the Golden State Warriors, the the best dynasty, one of the best dynasties in NBA history. Obviously, the team of the last you know ten years. But the Lakers, even though they started two and ten, they make all those trades. I think would be argued they have a better team. You know, I don't believe that Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr, really knows the eight guys that is going to be playing in rotation in the last few games. Draymond Green started on the bench and Jordan Poole uh, has been playing uh, in a more increased role, but he hasn't looked very good. Clay Thompson played pretty terribly minus that uh, four point play. He was able to put down in the third quarter of game seven uh, to stretch that to a 10 point game. There are spots where the Warriors look like they can be pretty good, but then you have like a game six where a young inexperienced Sacramento team goes into uh, Golden State and beat some, uh, and and obviously the game seven they are able to to take away. But when I look at the Lakers, I see a team that is a little more polished from one through eight. What's interesting about watching LeBron now, as opposed to experiencing my entire life, is he's uh, obviously near 20, 38 years old. He's picking his spots a lot more. You watch that in the Memphis series. In in game five, I think was a perfect example. They're in Memphis. If that's five years ago, LeBron, he probably takes over at the half half at halftime and says, AD does, you know, AD is playing well, but my other t- other guys, they seem a little nervous. They're hitting their shots. I'm gonna take over from here, run the pick and roll. We're gonna go win this game. But because I think his energy and his ability, obviously, with the recent foot injury kind of contributing to this as well. I just think he looks at games and he looks at moments and decides when he's gonna take over in a certain spot. And I think you'll see that in this game. I think you'll, or this series in particular, like if game one, if they come out and gold state after, you know, winning 48 hours ago, just comes out guns a blaze and they're up 15. I think you'll see a LeBron who's going to peel back and know that okay, game two is probably going to be the game that I don't have to come out and steal and split. And, and it's just interesting watching him at that point um, of his career where it's not full go all the time. It's a more let's control this game. Let's keep ourselves within striking distance and then I'm going to make a move and use my skills and my knowledge to take over at a, an important part. But I and think I you think, hit. Go sorry, ahead. just just along that point, I think it's also interesting too because when you look at LeBron's like holistic career, and just like a disclaimer. I feel like majority of the sports podcasts I listen to just hate LeBron James. So I have to listen to people hate on LeBron James all the time. So, you know what? We're going to talk about love for LeBron James and how well he does because every other person that listens listen, to Listen, you combine all the native podcasts, put them <laughs> together, they still wouldn't match up to the love that you show them. So I think, <laughs> I think it's all sixes. Uh, but just to say, it's interesting too because when you look at the longevity of his career, like – LeBron James went for eight years where he was in the play. He was in the finals for eight years straight. And in each of those games, obviously he only has four rings, right? 
And it's interesting when you actually look at the games, like some of the best games that he's ever had were in series where he ultimately lost. And oftentimes it was his team losing in like five games. And so it's interesting to see when he did put the entire team on his back when he was younger and he would still have these insane games where he would score 30 to 50, between 30 and 50 points, tons of rebounds, tons of assists, and his team still couldn't pull it out. And so I think that that, to your point, it goes to show like LeBron has learned a lot, not about like, not only about himself, but also about like what he can handle in his team. And I think he understands better than anyone, his age and the likelihood of like injury. And he's just such a freak athlete that he knows how to um, monitor those moments. And so I even saw it in the Memphis series, right? I mean, game five, they could tell that like, they had just like, they were not in that game. Grizzlies had gone off and you could see LeBron, like honestly check out of the game. Like he went and sat on the bench. They were down like 17 points and he just kind of been like, okay, you know what? We're just going to go get him in game six. And so I'm just very intrigued to see that kind of, what that mentality will be like against a team like the Warriors, where um, it's going to be harder. I think that the more important thing with the Warriors is getting those those quick starts because you don't want the Warriors to get ahead of you at any point in a game, but especially not in the third quarter. So if you can come out in the first and the third and play some really strong offense, then I think that's how you can defeat the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, what's really interesting about basketball is obviously have the box score and there's become this big, you know, box score watching and, and tracking stats. It's a, a really interesting, you know, it's made with all the advanced analytics and the advanced stats, it's made basketball, a lot of a numbers game uh, sort of trending towards what baseball is. What I find super interesting is you brought up Anthony Davis, you know, paired with LeBron. Anthony Davis to me outside, you know, I think is the no number one most important player for the Lakers and he and he outweighs LeBron pretty significantly. And this is what I think is interesting about actually watching the game, actually watching the impact a player has versus just your box score because you look at two different box scores for Anthony Davis. One was 35 minutes, 31 points, 19 rebounds and two blocks. You're like, "Oh man, they must have uh, they must have been right in that game. If they didn't win it, they were right there. Monster game from Anthony Davis. And then you have another one where it's 28 minutes, 16 points, 14 rebounds, and five blocks. And if you actually look at the results, the, the one with 31 points is a the game they lost on the road by double digits in game five. The one they played 28 minutes with 16 points and five blocks, they won by 40 points. And when you watch the game, you realize, oh, that's because, you know, he had five blocks, but it really – was close to 10 and his his impact on the game was even more than that. It was, they were, weren't even looking at going to the rim. They weren't even looking at driving. And it's the same game when they won in overtime where he, he only had 12 points shot four for 13, but his impact is much, much bigger than just, you know, the stat sheet in terms of, you know, field goal efficiency and points because he can go out and get his, but where, when he transcends to a different level, when you can see that he's locked in, it's when every single shot's getting contested. Every single play and drive to the rim is, is being uh, guarded by him. And he affects a game I think only a couple guys ever have and currently are in the league. Um, and so if, if they're going to win, it's going to be because Anthony Davis plays like he did when they won the championship back in uh, 2020. And as we saw in the Memphis series, he's as impactful as any player on the defensive end has ever been when it comes to defending the rim. So I hope that he can change that trend because I've, I've been cheering for him because I think he's got unfairly labeled, uh, you know, with injury and stuff. There's been some unfortunate things with him, but 
Yeah, but I think to that point, like I think the problem with Anthony Davis is that he's one of those players that had had that everyone put such high expectations on him. Like it was like when especially like he enters the league, he's a great player and just incredible force of nature. Like, I mean, just like from his like body build and everything, he's one of those just like you just know that he's going to dominate. And then it's like he joins up with LeBron in the Lakers and it was like all of this talk about how like, oh, this was like the new like this was like read times of like Bosch and Wade and James, like they're recreating this. There's going to be this huge championship thing going on in LA. And like, obviously they've won one, but like Anthony Davis has been riddled with injuries. And so I think that he wasn't meeting those expectations that were put upon him. And so then there's also, so now there's been this whole narrative of like, Oh, he's not that good. He's very injury prone, which he is. And so it's just funny because when he is healthy and he, when he's playing, he is one of the best players in the league. It's just a bummer when you see like players like that, who, they just continuously have injury problems that makes it so that like fans and like just fans across the league can't get like too excited. Cause it's like, even on in game six, we're up by like 23 points. And I was like, take Anthony Davis out. Like there's like four minutes left in the game. Just like take Anthony Davis out because one tweak of the ankle, one landing wrong, he's going to be out for the warrior series. And so it's just funny how it's like, as fans are just sitting there, like, you know how great he can be, but there's always this level of anxiety of like, is he going to be hurt at any given moment? You just don't know with AD. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think that we move into say now, now we're, you know, we're still in the Western conference. We look at a series where Denver is up to nothing on Phoenix. And this is where the schedule gets really wacky. They play Saturday, they play Monday in Denver, and then they don't play till Friday. So we still have a couple days until that game three in Phoenix and Phoenix needs it. They need some time to recuperate. I haven't seen any news about Chris Paul, but so far this series has gotten off to about as bad of a start as it could for Phoenix. They lose both games on the road, the first one pretty handedly. They get a very abysmal offensive shooting night from Jamal Murray and aren't able to take advantage. They hold that Phoenix team just to 97, which is about as good as it's going to get for holding that Denver team, but they can only put up 87. They lose in a game that they were up, I would say, probably 75% of it, 80% of the game. They were they were in control and in, in, in the in the front, but they lose. They're down 2-0. Do you see any situation where Phoenix is able to put together four out of the next five games and beat this Denver team with Denver holding home court advantage? Yeah, it's, well, one, the update on Chris Paul is that it's looking like he's most likely going to be out games three through five if it goes that oh, far geez. in the series. So not so you, got Cam, you got Cameron Payne. You got Cameron yeah. Payne as your point guard. I'm sorry to say, but I, it does not look very good. Yeah. Well, I need to, um, well, side note, I'm going to be in Phoenix. So currently deciding if I'm going to go to the game on Friday night, uh, oh. to see, to see some little Katie and Booker action. Oh, little Katie. Wow. <laughs> Never think that's um, been said before. <laughs> um, but I think wild. that's the key there. Like, um, I mean, obviously Kevin Durant hasn't had his best games. Um, the last game, he only scored like 24 points, which I mean, 24 points is a good amount, but when you're talking about a Kevin Durant in the playoffs, you expect a player like that to be a lot more, um, just dominant in the series and Devin Booker, like leading with 35. And so it's, I don't know. It's like, I want to say the biggest thing with the nuggets and the Suns is that I think it goes back to what I talked to you about, like last week of where the problem with the Suns is I just don't feel like they've had enough time to get together and understand the continuity of a game. Whereas the nuggets, this team has been playing together for a while. Like Jokic and Murray are a 
dominant duo that know how to play with each other. They have a very good systematic system happening over in Denver. And the key there is like if Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are able to pull out a series win, it's going to be because they literally shut down Jokic. Like if you can just control Jokic in the middle and then you and Kevin Durant and Booker can combine for 30 plus points, like you can win this series. Like you can come back out of this 2-0 deficit. You're coming back home, even up the series, go back to Denver with that kind of momentum um get that win or if you even if you get a loss in game five at least even the series up at home so that when you come back to game six hopefully Chris Paul can be back you'll have that key point of your offense that's able to just kind of lead dish the ball out to where it needs to go so I mean we've seen we've seen bigger comebacks in the NBA so I'm not going to count the Suns out I think especially with a player like Kevin Durant you just know that he's got a mindset that he's going to come out he's they're going to win at least one games of the series and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure they'll win on Friday night I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that Denver team is just really deep. And when they made the trade to get Kevin Durant, and I understand out of 30 GMs out of 30 GMs in the NBA, if you can get to Kevin Durant, you're going to get Kevin Durant. So they had to give up basically their depth. If you look at the teams, the, the team that Phoenix was the last couple of years, they relied on a pretty good bench unit. Jay Crowder was in there. Cam Johnson. And then obviously Mikel Bridges. Mikel Bridges never had an opportunity to be what he became in in Brooklyn, but I think you saw how special of a talent that he is, and 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 kind of what they're missing at the current moment. So I don't blame them for doing it. However, it has severely handicapped what they are at the current moment. One injury to Chris Paul, which. I mean, that happens every postseason, doesn't it? So I guess well, they should have been. There's always prepared. at least one NBA player that's got a groin injury. I didn't know groin injuries were going to be that much of a There's also There's also a, one player getting hit in the nuts every single game <laughs> that they're reviewing on the monitor. I don't know what it is about NBA players, but they need to watch the nut shots. It's on a different level. Um, just weird. That's one of the weirdest friends. Just constantly getting hit in the nuts. Uh, so... That's what you, that's the next uh, sports center. It needs to be top 10 nut shots. Nut, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> what I'll say to this is I honestly think Denver is in a position where they could sweep the Suns. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, they, they are in that position. I would say. Yeah. Okay. That was that two <laughs> they are position. Uh, I think they are. I think they're going to, I think they're going to sweep the Suns. If, especially if they win game three, I think the Suns by game four, just kind of be checked out of it, knowing that, well, we, you know, we don't want to travel back to Denver, playing that environment, playing that altitude. They got a weak, they got a thin team. I mean, watching that fourth quarter, Cameron Payne thought he was Kevin Durant. I mean, he was shooting way too much. And by the time that this comes around, you know, we've got two days to tell it so I can hold on to this for a while. The Denver Nuggets are going to sweep the Phoenix Suns. Put that right now, pin it. I'll make a social graphic and share it. Oh, so he's, he's putting it on the Twitter people. I just thought that they had their best chance last night to get it done. Jamal Murray played one of the worst playoff games he's ever played, but you had Jokic in full control and full command of the game playing like the two time MVP that he is. And I just don't see a way where you have the number one seated, the deepest team in the league lose to this Phoenix sun team. That is really just a two man, two man team. And when one of them isn't shooting well, it's a one and a half man team. There's no one else on that Phoenix Sun team that'll scare you. DeAndre Ayton is just a big disappointment in his ability versus what he does. And then Chris Paul getting hurt has sealed it for me. The Denver Nuggets are going to sweep the Phoenix Suns. 
You heard it here first, people. There you go. Maybe not first. I won't claim that, but. Well, it's actually like it would imagine how crazy that would be, though, because I'm looking up the remaining schedule for the Suns Nuggets because they play. So Friday, Sunday, and then. Be Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But if they sweep, that means game four is done on the seventh, which is Sunday. Mm-hmm. If the Lakers Warrior series goes to game seven, that game seven is not until May 14th. So if the Nuggets win and they just cancel them out in four games, then the Denver Nuggets will have like nine to 10 days of rest before they have to face the Lakers or the Warriors. That means they get to watch the entire series focused on both teams they're studying that tape they're getting prepped for those teams and it's just crazy to think about like if that will be a major benefit for the the nuggets and how that's going to play out like the number one seed being able to have that long of a rest i mean that's just not looking good for the rest of the western conference yeah and it may be a gentleman sweep like maybe they do get game three but denver then gets uh four and five and it's you know done on what would that be? It'd be done on Tuesday, so they'd get the Tuesday eleventh. So a you week. still you like still a minimum don't. of a week. Yeah, minimum of a week. I just I, I watched that game last night, and the Nuggets played about as bad as I think that they can, and they still won that game going away there at the end of the fourth quarter. Now Kevin Durant played a, a pretty poor game on the offensive side as well, so you probably aren't going to get that Kevin Durant game again, but it came at a bad time. Uh, where it was countered with Jamal Murray's. So uh, looking over the Eastern Conference, we already have, uh, what is the score of the Miami-New York game as we sit here? We're sitting at 93-91, Miami up by two. It's been back and forth all night. It's been a really fun game. And how much time's left? So We have got six minutes left in the fourth quarter. If Miami wins this without Jimmy Butler, the series is over. I mean, the series is dead. At home? I thought, there was, I thought that the Knicks were going to pummel the heat tonight without Jimmy B. Yeah, well, that's not the case. I think I think there's a couple of things at play. I think Cleveland in the round before tricked us. They were a little younger than and weren't quite ready for the lights and maybe weren't near as good, especially on the wings. Didn't have as many offensive playmakers outside the two in Garland and Mitchell. So New York was able to kind of put the clamps down. I don't think they have an extra level. And Miami just seems to have seven extra levels to them. Uh, it's amazing to me that they're doing this without Jimmy Butler. Again, if Jimmy Butler's playing, it would make sense. They just beat up the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks. But as we sit now, if they go up 2-0 on a New York team with Jimmy Butler missing one of them going back to Miami, it, it's over. Just It's done. The, the series would already be done, which is just crazy to say. But we'll update that as it ends. What do you think about the Philly-Boston series? Joel Embiid, MVP announced today. MVP Joel Embiid. They miss him in game one, but James Harden goes for 45 points, including a game-winning three to seal the road one win. What do you make of that series for Boston? Well, I mean, one, just the craziest thing, like James Harden, I feel like all anyone ever talks about, I was, he's crap in the playoffs. And so, I mean, for him, what a sweet redemption story of one game against uh, what his 40 appearances where he was the redemptive one. Um, But yeah, I think this is going to be a really fun series. Obviously, I think it's dependent on like Embiid's health um, and seeing if he's going to be able to play all of the games because I mean, like the Sixers just aren't the Sixers without Embiid, right? And so I'm really interested to see how that's going to go. 
I mean, right now, if I had to call it, I would take the Celtics over the Sixers. Um, I just think that the Celtics are what everyone thought they were over the course of the season. Like they've done well. And I just think that we're going to see, I just don't think we're going to see the Sixers at their full health. Yeah. Unfortunately, I will say there's a couple things I want to state about that win. The Celtics shot 59% from the field. They shot 40% from three and 94% from the line in game one. And they are at home and they still lost. And if we're comparing and we're talking, you know, we talked about you brought up Steph's 50 point game. I think this game is more impressive, impressive from James Harden, even though it was a game one missing Joel Embiid, the MVP of the league, 30 points. And he's able to go on the road, get the win and, and, and jump out on a series that now, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid can rest another game because you already have the split. You took home court away. So they play tomorrow and then they'll play for, or they play today when this episode comes out on Wednesday, they then play Friday. So if you're Philly, if you're Philly, you can have him rest until Friday for that pivotal game three at home with more than likely the series split unless James Harden does something incredible. So this is, this is big because getting to steal one where you're able to rest your superstar in his knee extra time. I think what James Harden did getting those 45 points in a hostile environment was more impressive than what, when what Steph Curry did. Uh, and, and like you said, he's been knocked over the last several years for his play, lack of playoff success, but he's had some big playoff games and to step up like that in that moment and not be afraid of it, I think says a lot about James Harden. And I hope I hate Boston. I hate him. So I hope that, and I am, always let's go going, back. I'm let, let my feelings, where, where did I let the, my feelings dictate my sports opinions too much. Where did but. The, but apparently, so you hate Boston more than you hate the entire city of Philadelphia. Yeah, I, yeah, you split Philly. I only hate the Eagles. <laughs> the 76ers have never done anything to me. The Eagles have crushed my dreams and all my love and hope for the world. <laughs> and the 76ers haven't done any of that. So same people, but different. I, I, I put them in different categories. Yeah, I do think we have to take into consideration too. I mean, the Celtic, like the Sixers got a four, like they, they sweeped the nets in four games. So they got a, they got a longer rest than the Celtics did. Obviously Celtics Hawks series went through six. So I think obviously like that also plays into it of like, they played two more games than the Sixers had Sixers had longer time to rest. And so I think that that plays obviously into the whole schema of the, of the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I don't know this one. Yeah. This one is like a toss up. Like you made some really good points that I can't completely argue with, but I think that there's a chance that like, that's like, there is a chance that the series flips and it's like that Sixers win is like the one and done. And then the Celtics are able to kind of pull out wins the rest of the way. And so I could see it going either way. I feel like both of these teams have the skills and the ability to be really, really dominant. So it's just a matter of like, which team matches up better to the other team's defense and which one is able to stop their stars. Yeah. As I mean, I mean, that's what happens in every basketball game, I guess. <laughs> Whoever so here, figures out how to win is going yeah. to win. The key here is that in every game, you want to have more points than your opponents. <laughs> and if you do that four out of the seven games, you advance to the next round. Wow. That's the wildest thing I ever heard. Those are deep analytics <laughs> brought to you by us. I still, still would probably, guys. I, I still would probably put Boston as the favorites in that uh, because like you said, if Joel Embiid was was healthy and they stole this 
game one with him in there and you knew he was going to be there for the, you know, the next five or six, whatever it ended up being, I could see that world, but who knows? Like they say that he could play game three, but it's still not even, I guess they say they could play game two, but people are saying game three more likely, but it's still not a definitive return. And then until you actually see him on the court running up and down, you just don't know what that means for him. Cause I remember, you know, talking about the Lakers, you know, more previously, but that, second the year after they won the championship and they played the Suns in the first round and ad i think pulled his hammy in game four misses game five and they go back for game six like oh ad's playing but one run up the court you saw oh yeah that's not good he he can't even move so it's the same thing with the knee like yeah joel and b may try to tough it out but what percentage is he going to be able to move at what point could one wrong move he falls down all the time what fall is going to make it so he can't play the rest of the game? But and the key is that he's learned how to fall. That's what they say, but he's always hurt. <laughs> I don't know what that They're means. They're like, that's my favorite thing is that literally every sports coaster you listen to of like Joel, Emb- Joel Embiid has learned how to fall correctly. And it's like, has he though? Because he's always hurt still. He's, so I feel like he still needs to learn how to fall correctly. Yeah. He's or just still, stop falling so much. The man's seven feet, 300 pounds, <laughs> maybe less impact on the ground, but. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I just think we should pad all basketball courts. What they should do. Make it a little bit softer. Yeah, just not straight wood and concrete underneath. What they should do is they should just start Joel Embiid, have him start playing in January because he's seen, like, over the last several years, years, he's made it all the way through the season then gets hurt in the playoffs. Or right mm, near the just playoffs. late start him. Just late start him, yeah. and then he'll be able to make it. He'll be the first player to load manage the entire <laughs> first half of the season. <laughs> that actually be quite the strategy. I'd love to see a team that's, actually. I mean, that's that's that. where that's where they're going. So play every one once every five games. But the key is that you have to communicate it out to the audiences so they know what games to buy tickets to and which ones to ignore. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All righty, uh, that wraps up the semifinal preview. It's ex- exciting what we have coming up here in the NBA. Uh, a, a, I would say a postseason unlike anything we've seen. You know, I remember not not just five years ago, the or maybe it was four years ago, five, six, time escaped me. But when the Cleveland Cavaliers went 12-1 and through the Eastern Conference and the Golden State Warriors went 12-0, and there was no drama. There was no suspicion. We knew that they were going to meet in the playoffs. And then the Golden State Warriors swept them or beat them four to one, something like that. So it's nice to be in a situation where we have no idea what's going to happen. We get LeBron and Steph in the second round. I mean, this is chef. This is epic. Uh, Brunson just hit a three at a tied game. So now Knicks are up by three. Oh, Big Brunson has been balling tonight. What what a get for them. Obviously, you got a lot of flack for the contract, but he's done amazing for him. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's like I think that it's funny too, because I think this Lakers Warriors, like there's just a lot of excitement, obviously, two of the teams that have been. I mean, we've been seeing LeBron against the Warriors go on for the past eight years. And so I think it's just kind of cool to kind of see it happening again in the playoffs. And can't wait for eight o'clock. 10 minutes. So we'll move in real quick. And like I said, next week, we're going to have Robbie Grimond. We're going to discuss the player in the draft, in the NBA draft or NFL draft that we would pair to what they became. It'll be interesting. 
It'll be fun. It'll be a draft. So that'll be good. But real quickly, but, I want you to- But I mean, follow up on last draft, we just want to make, like, disclaimer, like, majority of NFL analysts were wrong about the draft. Well, so, let's 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 do this. Yeah, just just because mine was wrong. So, like, just because we were we were we were 100% right for the first five minutes of the draft. That's true. Bryce Actually, Young got drafted number it was 15. one. It was 15. And I like to say Will Anderson did go to the Texans. Yeah, and it was a good call. Bryce Young went in the top three. I just had him flip-flopped and I didn't have the Texans taking uh, – not Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud. But, I know. So and as I, we, I will stand by that if the Texans hadn't done their weird little thingamajig, the Raiders would have traded up. So Yeah, I'm, I'm there too. Cardinals have gotten so many calls. So, yeah, I'm with you. So here's the deal. I, before we give just a quick synopsis on this, I want to read. This is back from 2012. Okay, Bleacher Report gave out their draft grades. I think draft grades are really funny. You can't really review a draft until three years four or later. five years down the road. Three maybe is when you can first start peeking at it. Here's the summary. So in this draft, they took Bruce Irvin. Ever heard of Bobby Wagner? Never. Russell Wilson. Okay. The Seahawks received our lowest round one grade for their reach to grab Bruce Irvin at number 15 overall. They then again messed up in round three with Russell Wilson after having signed Matt Flynn this offseason. <laughs> Neither pick makes any sense to us. Bobby oh, Wagner so and Robert Turvin saved the Seattle draft, but two of its first three picks were just bad and most likely will be regretted. Okay. Now, uh, again, I'm hey, not uh, sure Seahawks fans. Do you, do you regret? Uh, he was just thinking into the future when uh, Russell ended up on the Broncos and that's when people regretted a oh, Russell Wilson. But do they, because then they got, they were able to get uh, Jackson Smith and the Jigba on yeah, their team yeah, because of that pick. True. So I think they're, I mean, it wasn't, I think, exact, I, think yeah. I think Seahawks fans are very happy with Russell Wilson. <laughs> Yeah, in their history, and, and again, Bobby Wagner. So, Bobby Wagner. So, so, as we say what I'm about to say, I can't wait to be able to look back and see what it came to be. So, hey, I'm going to give you the first one. There's a lot of obviously people that are clamoring for the top spot, but who was your favorite draft uh, in the 2023 draft? Favorite team overall? Okay. Two, I there was four teams that I really really liked what they did. Um, so really quickly, I'm just going to highlight those and I'll choose my favorite. Houston Texans, obviously, love how they just picked up an incredible QB and then went right back there and picked up their defensive superstar. Like some stupendous Philadelphia Eagles, even though they've caused me a lot of pain and heartache in my life, how the rest of the NFL let them pick up two major stars from the Georgia defense so that we can just replicate the bulldogs up in Philadelphia is beyond me, but big win for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, the Cardinals, while I don't think they necessarily won this draft in a way that they, in a way they won because they're walking away with so much 2024 draft capital that I am like so intrigued to see what the Cardinals do next season because they just set themselves up for success and lots and lots of draft picks to come. And then the Detroit Lions, they're getting a lot of hate, but I actually really like what the Detroit Lions did in this draft. Um, and so for me, I'm going to say overall winner is probably Philadelphia Eagles to me from like the picks that they got. But the Detroit Lions from a strategic perspective, I think might surprise everybody down the line. 
I will say what's very interesting about the Cardinals is that for odds on winning or like win totals next year, the Cardinals are the favorites to have the worst record. The second team to have the, the, the worst record or second to worst record it would be are the Houston Texans. If that were to fall, just saying that if that were to fall in that order, the Cardinals would have the first and the second pick or like first and the third pick if the Texans, because I don't suspect they'll be very good and I don't suspect the Cardinals will be very good. And in that draft, it's going to be really important because Caleb Williams, um, Drake May, you know, there are a few other quarterback prospects like Spencer Rattler and that one, a guy who was a five-star not too long ago. Quinn Ewers could be coming out of Texas, who's highly regarded as well. So like you said, what they did this draft, you could look at a few picks and see like they got their, maybe the tackle, the future in uh, Paris Johnson. But really what they did, like you said, acquiring that draft capital where next draft they may be able, like you imagine, whatever you think of Kyler Murray, say they pick number one and they draft Caleb Williams because he seems like a generational prospect. And they have pick number two and a team wants to move up and get Drake May or whoever it may be at that time. How much more they're able to get for that and all of a sudden, now they have a talented raw. I mean, it would be absurd. So, well, I mean, and you even think about the fact of like, hey, say that they still they're sticking with Kyler Murray, like the amount of draft capital they're going to get and the bargaining chips that they're going to have oh. to be able to trade up for that for oh. that number one spot is just insanity. It's crazy. I would have to say, I really looking over the draft. Um, there was a few, like you said, you kind of picked out a few that that you liked. I would say my favorite one, just because I always appreciate when a team just goes and gets it, is I love the Indianapolis Colts. They were they were slated at four. There's a lot of tie to them with Will Levis, uh, which Will Levis is that type of a guy with really toolsy, has a lot of those physical traits he can't teach, which is Will Levis, but Anthony Richardson has it like on hyperdrive, just an unreal guy. Just if less you, game, just less games and stats to be able to go off of. Exactly. If Anthony Richardson hits, they are going to be very, very happy, and it's going to be a tremendous success. Uh, they were able to get Julius Brents, uh, cornerback from Kansas State, Josh Downs, a wide receiver from North Carolina, um, and Blake Freeman, an, an offensive tackle to kind of shore up that offensive line in round four. They just got a tremendous amount of value through their draft. They added a lot of guys. But my favorite is just taking a guy who has a really high ceiling. You know, too often we get, uh, what is that saying, paralysis by analysis, where they look into so many different things. And because you have so much information, you end up just stuck and not knowing what to decide. It's like when you have so many places to eat, all of them sound really good, and you're not sure where you should where you should go. Well, that's kind of how these NFL teams get with quarterbacks. They have all these different things that they're looking at when if you just pulled pulled back all of these biases or things that you think you know and just looked at the traits and what they could become, Anthony Richardson out of these four guys I think should have been the top of the list because, again, it's a gamble taking any of the quarterbacks. They hit it about half the time, and on like an ultra-successful level, they hit one out of ten. And why not go for the guy that can hit the cam – you know, the prime Cam Newton level, which I think Angie Richardson has all the tools to be able to do that. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because last week on the mock draft, Rob said the Colts should go with Anthony Richardson, but they're going to go with Will Levis. And we talked about that a little bit there, right? Of like the last like 
10 seasons, like, I mean, since Andrew Luck, the Colts have just chosen the wrong quarterback time and time and time again. And so I think it's so cool to see a team that like, it's so easy to get into your common, like look for the same elements in a quarterback. And I like that the Colts took the risk on this one of like Anthony Richardson looks like he could be a stellar, stellar prospect. Like he could be an incredible QB. And I just like that they went out, they got their guy. And I mean, Jim Ursay was getting a lot of heat for tweeting about like, should we pick up Will Levis too? Like going well, into the so dumb about that is he said like Joe Montana, Steve Young. And I know they were drafted five even, years apart, but it's not even a comparable thing. <laughs> Joe Montana won four Super Bowls by that time. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever read. Yeah, but it's funny too, because I'm like, but like, why get so heated about that? Like, you pick up two of the QBs with the QB problems that the Colts have had. I mean, what you like let them both play it out and then look, you look like a genius if you end up drafting both of them. Yeah, and it's like RG3 Kirk Cousins, you know? Yeah, you know, it's just you just don't know. And so it's just funny. I just I love that the excitement that they were able to do. And I just think it's good. Like, yeah, you pick up these guys in the top 10 and you can probably give them a little bit of attitude of like, yeah, I'm the best. I'm going to conquer in this league. So I'm like, keep them on their feet a little bit of like that. That that starting spot is not guaranteed even to our top 10 picks. Yeah, I agree with all that. What would you say was your least favorite draft pick? Uh, least least. I don't know if it's necessarily a specific pick because I think that it's hard to be like, oh, that person's going to be awful. But um, mine's a toss-up between the New Orleans Saints and the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Um, I just don't love what either team did. But I think for me, the biggest thing with the New Orleans Saints is that, I mean, prior going into this draft, they've been kind of the favorites to win um, the NFC South. But I think it's interesting. I just thought that their picks were interesting. I mean, like to sign Kendra Miller when you just picked up Jamal Williams, Alvin Kamara is still on your roster. It's like, okay, like what exactly is the strategy there when we've already got two running back side? Why are we picking up another one in the drafts? And like, I don't know. I just think that the the Saints had an opportunity to kind of set themselves like apart from their division but I think actually like everyone else in their division made these incredible moves during during the draft and it felt like the Saints didn't make a ton of sense with the moves they were making and so now it's interesting because I feel like now it's swapped where it's like now the AFC South feels so much more like any man's game because it feels like every other team upped their ante and the Saints kind of like downgraded in a way yeah I I could see the Saints in there you know you mentioned that you liked what the lines did and i get it but i also think in my mind they had pick number six they traded it out of it uh and and got it extra capital from it and then but they ended up taking jameer gibbs at number 12 and while i understand what jameer gibbs is i guess capable of in my mind if you're going to pick a running back pick Bijan robinson Bijan robinson at pick number six Cause like what they got back to move back six, it wasn't really that much in, in terms of how I thought the difference in the running backs were B John is kind of, I think like a generational type of runner where Jameer Gibbs is kind of a fit in plug in work around him. And I'm excited to see what the lines will do with him on offense. Cause they think he'll be electric, but in my mind, I'll be always thinking, well, this would probably be a touch better with Bijan. Like they would probably be a little bit farther ahead if they had Bijan. And then taking off ball linebacker Jack Campbell um with the 18 pick was just I just didn't make any sense to me. You know, I I I understood the 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 Jameer Gibbs, but the Jack Campbell one, he was slated by almost everybody to be a second round guy. 
and he went at pick number 18. I just, I thought that they had round two, they had picked up, you know, number three. They also had pick number 14 in round two, where they're able to get Sam Laporta and Brian Banch, Branch, which Branch was slated to be a first rounder. So even if you swap those, which is kind of dumb to do because they got both of them, it makes more sense. I just thought it was a little wacky and it makes me nervous for what Dan Campbell and his evaluations of players are. Uh, I know. To go with this but- fourth round decision making. <laughs> Well, he just loves his greedy men, and he just, you know, Bijan didn't have it. You got to trust Man Campbell on that. Just not gritty enough, huh? Not getting just it not from the mud. No, but is it? I did. I did. It's interesting too to see their pickup of Hendon Hooker in the third round at pick it's number true. sixty-eight. Um, obviously, there was a lot of heat about Hendon Hooker leading up to the draft. I mean, a lot of people were saying that he was going to go in the first round, like, and so I just thought it was really interesting that he was like he wasn't picked up till third round. I think that that's potentially a great pickup for the Lions and one that we could kind of see like surprise a lot of people. Obviously, I don't think that he'll replace Jared Goff like right at the beginning of the season, but I think. It's an opportunity for the Lions to build around a young QB who has star potential. I mean, obviously, people saw enough star potential in him to put pick him as going in the first. Yeah, uh, and obviously, the Vikings were hooked to or linked to Hendon Hooker, and ended up going a different direction. Uh, to- BYU alum, let's go, Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall to give the Vikings plug, Jordan Addison. Good luck stopping him and Justin Jefferson. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. Okay. That's it. That's the solution that we needed. Kirk Cousins just throwing balls between Hawkinson, JJ, and Jordan Addison. Yeah. Oh, chef's kiss to that. All righty. Well, like I said, uh, NBA playoff. What's the score right now between the Knicks and Heat? Knicks are going to win 108, 105. That is a big but win for them. There's 22. There's 22 seconds left, and they were just up eight, but Miami has leveled it. They've gone five points in like eight seconds. So oh. Oh. there's actually you, a wait. high chance. Well, you just said Knicks win are gonna win, and now all of a sudden it's in flux. Like what? And then the? I realized, and then I realized how many points the Heat had scored in eight seconds, and that there was still twenty-two seconds on the clock. Oh, so wow. every, everyone's gonna get a live reaction to end of this game. Are we gonna hold on? The NBA games could be like twenty-five minutes long. Oh yeah, it's only twenty-two seconds. We're gonna hold on. What if there's something amazing that happens? <laughs> People hey, are while, dying while we're live re- response to while this. we're waiting. I just finished this book. For those that aren't watching the video, it's a picture of LeBron James. It's the the LeBron book by Jeff Benedict just came out in stores Um, mid-April. And I I have to put this plug in because obviously as a LeBron lover, we're plugging. Listen, we're sponsored by Jeff Benedict. And uh, this, this series brought to you by Avid Reader Press. We're sponsored now. Not officially. Oh. Don't quote us on that. Um, but that, okay, listen, Jeff Benedict, just one of the greatest sports biographers ever. So like anybody should just go read any of the books he's done. Um, but this one, obviously as a LeBron lover, I'm just going to get, people are just going to assume I'm saying this because I love LeBron, which obviously aids in it, but truly one of the greatest books I've ever read because it gives such incredible insight into things about LeBron that you just didn't know and like stories you didn't know. And especially around a lot of the most controversial things that have happened with LeBron in his life, obviously the decision and stuff going on with Darfur in China during all these different things. And so it gives a really, really interesting context. So anyways, I think everyone should read it. The Knicks are now up by five with 12 seconds remaining. <laughs> wow. That you have was... any questions, Zach? I don't. Uh, I think anytime you can have a chance to read some really cool things about some of the best athletes alive, you should. A lot wow. to learn. 
That All quote's right. going to go on the back as we get sponsored by Avid Reader Press. Uh, when you can read some really cool things by people who play sports, you should do it. That should be an immediate yes. Immediately, yes. Yep, the Knicks are going to win. Four seconds left. You heard it here first or you're wow. live, depending on what part of the world you live in. If you heard it here first, I don't know what you're doing listening to sports podcasts because this happened late last night. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, we look forward to the Lakers uh Warriors game, Paige, if they win. Whoosh. And if they lose. Boo. Go Lakers. Right, Paige? Go Lakers. LeBron is the GOAT. <laughs> Thanks for listening <laughs> to His and His Podcast. I'm Zach Bennett, alongside my sister Paige. See you again next week. <laughs>